This morning's passage comes to us again from the book of Acts. Last week, if you were here, you heard me read and preach about Peter's calling to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, not only to the Jewish Christians, but also to the Gentiles. And that was a major paradigm shift. In this morning's text, it is the story of Paul. Paul has already been active in his ministry to the Gentiles, yet as the book of Acts shows us, the rings get farther and farther out, finally completely filling the world. This morning's text comes to us as Paul is struggling over where to go next. He's in Troas, which is in the ancient world uh, right below uh, what is now Istanbul, Turkey, He thinks he should go east, deeper into Asia, yet the Holy Spirit comes to him in a vision and says, no, do not go east, nor do you go south. We pick our text up in the ninth verse. During the night then, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia was the northern port of what is now Greece, In other words, Europe. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them too. So we set sail from Troas and took up a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained there in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman, women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. When I say the word privileged, what comes to mind? Maybe that article in the paper a week or so ago about the Norwegian Cruise Line's new offer of accommodations in the exclusively chic level called the Haven, where for $1,000 more a night you can share that special place with only 89 other room occupants, as opposed to the other 4,800 and however many occupants there are on the different levels according to prestige, much like the Titanic on that cruise line. $1,000 more a night is all. The fewer the rooms, of course, the better, because it means the more prestige you have. You don't want everyone to share 
that room. It needs to be confined. Or when we hear the word privileged, maybe it reminds us of concierge medicine where we pay $5,000, or at least it used to be, it may be 10 now, for personalized individual health care with a physician who is on call almost privately with us and however many others, 24-7. Or maybe when we hear the word privileged, we think of someone who owns his own or her own private jet. I'm not complaining. I am always willing to accompany someone of privilege who has an extra ticket to and a private jet where there is a worthy sporting event going on. It's nice to have high friends in high places. Even still, however, the word privilege tends to leave a bad taste in our mouths, maybe because of the conspicuous consumption it represents or the fact that the privileged seem to get to use a different door than the rest of us peons. I don't know, it conjures up the word entitlement. Set apart. And usually when we use that term, we're not talking about ourselves, but in a sort of insult kind of way, someone else, they're privileged. In this new gilded age of the 21st century, remarkably or unfortunately, much like the end of the 19th and early 20th, where the separation between the haves and the have-nots is as great as it is, privilege is starting to sound profane, and for good reasons. However, we must be very careful. Most of us are enormously privileged ourselves, even though as good Christians we don't like to think of ourselves this way. For instance, I was born white, that in itself a privilege, and male, into a Christian, Protestant, educated family of middle, upper class, both socially and economically. I'm a super wasp, someone once called me. I was athletic, extroverted, and big for my age. Because all of those things are out of my control, those were enormous privileges that I have been mostly unaware of, like running a race with a 50-mile-an-hour wind at my back, and when I finish close to the front, I think it's all because of me. In fact, I really didn't know how privileged really mattered until I was rushed by a fraternity house in North Carolina where I found out that over 90% of the fraternity brothers had gone to Woodbury Forest or Westminster or Episcopal or Macaulay or some other independent school while eight others and me had gone to public school. It wasn't overt, but it was clear that the private school kids were more privileged than the public school ones. 
But my point is that when it comes to privilege, it's important to own up to the enormous privileges that we have and understand that those privileges are all relative. No matter how much we have, there's always someone who has more. Not only do we own up to that individually, but corporately as a church at Riverside, we are enormously privileged. We're mostly WASP here, too, mostly highly educated, mostly quite wealthy by the world's standards. This is a church of enormous privilege. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. It just is who we are. And the reason I'm asking us to own up to this at least is not that we need to feel guilty. Lord knows Presbyterians do not need to feel guilty any more than we already do. We feel guilty when we roll out of bed every morning. But instead that we might be able to claim our privilege with gratitude. To see our privilege as something that for whatever reason, probably the best I can tell, luck of the draw. We are called to use those privileges graciously for the kingdom of God. Which is to say that there's another meaning to the word privilege that goes like, it has been a privilege to do this for you. Like a friend might feel when he or she cares for another. In this sense, then, privilege is not so much a right as it is a responsibility or an honor, an opportunity. This kind of privileges we all share equally in, and that is the privilege to serve others. That's why this morning's story to me is so intriguing. It is a story of both kinds of privilege working together. We tend to think of all those early Christians as being impoverished and Certainly by our standards, they were. We thought Jesus, who didn't have a place to raise his head and who was born in a cattle stall because they didn't have enough privilege to find room in the inn, was certainly brought up under those circumstances. But in fact, Jesus was quite privileged too. He came from a family that had a trade, a stable family. He was educated. He could read and write. A small minority only could do that. He was raised to be a rabbi, and some say even a Pharisee, a privilege indeed. But compared to Jesus, Paul was out of the world privilege. Not only did he have all of that, he had his own business. He was a Roman citizen, an enormous gift. He could come and go any way he wanted as a free person of Rome. He had absolute opening and uh, to every country he that he entered by virtue of his citizenship if he got into trouble he could call forth the roman government if he was uh, needing justice the government would protect him his citizenship enabled this enormous privilege plus the fact that paul sat at the feet of gamaliel the greatest jewish teacher of all time To get there, whatever influence he had to get there reveals the privilege that he had. In many ways, as a male citizen 
of Rome, Jewish Pharisee from an aristocratic family. Paul was one of the most privileged people in the New Testament. And this morning's story is about how he used his privileges to spread the good news across the world because of his citizenship as a Roman and his training as a Jewish uh, rabbi, he could come and go and be open to the Spirit as it freely moved wherever it took him. Hence, the good news was spread. This morning's passage makes it clear it is this privilege that enables him to travel to Macedonia. It's off the map. It's in Europe. Basically, he's backtracking the footsteps of Alexander the Great. It's no small venture. He was, he was called to Macedonia, and for him, it was a massive paradigm shift. It takes an enormous ship, not like the Caribbean cruise lines, by the way. Just think the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria and diminish it by 50. Yet in this way, Paul was called to carry the word to the Gentile world. And when he arrived in Macedonia, the story says that he happened to connect to the privileged Lydia. She's the head of a household. That in itself is remarkable as a woman. She is deeply respected and wealthy, a dealer in purple cloth, incredibly rare like spun gold. The meeting of these two privileged characters, Paul and Lydia, leads not only to her family being baptized and to her inviting Paul and his companions in to stay with her, but leads to Lydia's influence to share this gospel throughout her culture point I'm making is that privilege is not always a bad thing depending on how it is used. And those of us with enormous privilege are given the responsibility, no, better, the honor as Christians to use our privilege for that reason. Not for our entitlement, but to serve the kingdom of God. I think that's why it is very important for us to own up to and claim the privileges that we have. For me, visiting Haiti forced me to do just that. When you first visit Haiti, it's almost universal. The first experience is that of shock at the poverty and deprivation of those people. It's difficult to understand how, uh, until you see it, and especially without being too personal, until you smell it, how much poverty there is. It's the first thing you're hit with. But the second thing you're hit with, after some time, I don't know, when you get to meet the people, is this sense of uplift by the spirit and the joy and the resilience and, and dignity of most of those people. And then at some point later in that journey, you're struck with two questions. The first question is, why am I so privileged 
if that's how we define it in terms of material things. Why do I have so much and they have so little? And I could not come up with an answer to that other than basically that was the card that was dealt. And the second question that follows immediately, as a Christian at least, is this. How can I now use my privilege for others like those in Haiti, or not just Haiti, not as the privileged who go there in a patronizing sense, but as those or one who goes there to discover what a privilege it is to be with them, to serve them and be served by them. This is the place, you see, where you see Christ in the stranger, in the one you thought you were going to fix or make better somehow. You find the amazing privilege of meeting Jesus Christ. Those of us of privilege often miss this. Most of those of us who call ourselves missionaries, wherever it is, are sent out realizing or not realizing that those people, especially in Haiti, might just in fact be more faithful and dependent on God than we are or ever thought of being. We go to teach them about industry and self-reliance and capitalism, thinking that since they are impoverished, they must be lazy and dependent. But the fact is that they may be the most hard-working and resiliently self-reliant people in the world, proven by the simple fact that in that hell hole of a country, that spends 180 times less per person on health care than the United States and offers 83% less sanitation to its people, 83% fewer people than the United States, and provides few of the basic infrastructures we take for granted, like public education and a decent police force, They have nevertheless figured out how to not only survive, but in many cases live with a joy greater than our own. I'm not romanticizing this. Basically, they view missionaries and NGOs, non-government organizations, as good-hearted but patronizing people trying to lay our white, mostly U.S. Christian Protestant values on them or trying to lay our waspy guilt off on them by doing something good and then going back home. The fact is that while I was made painfully aware of my own waspy, privileged maleness in Haiti, what I found there was an enormous privilege to be associated with the good work of Fon Cosé. In the good sense of the word, I was privileged to be a part of the work of Fon Cosé, which works against dependency, illiteracy, joblessness, and injustice through the offering of a hand up and not a handout. 
But to be honest, ever since I came back, I can't get out of my mind the words of Jesus when he said, from everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, much will be demanded. After witnessing how they are doing so much with so little and how we are doing so little with so much, it forced me to ask and wonder how will I and we be received when we make our accounting one day before God. Thank God that we are given the proof that in Jesus Christ, God is gracious. I'm not talking about welfare or dependency. I'm not talking about writing more checks or giving more money necessarily. I'm talking instead about the privileges that we have been given to the glory of God, about using those privileges to share in God's work in the world and in our city through our service and through our compassion and through our cooperation and through our generosity, each in our own personal privileged way. I'm talking about Tom Cousins in Atlanta, incredibly privileged, incredibly wealthy. He's the 0.0001% of the world, a real estate developer turned philanthropist who had a vision to revitalize this once desperate and unsafe area of Atlanta called Eastlake, not by bulldozing it down to rubble, but by choosing instead to work with the people of Eastlake to see what they needed and then garnering the business and community powers together to work with them to make it happen, to provide with them. Tom is a Presbyterian at North Avenue Presbyterian Church, and some years ago, in his, I don't know, early 50s or so, he wasn't feeling real good about himself with all that he had, and, and he was lacking joy in his life. So he called up his pastor at the time, the great Vernon Boyles, uh, Broyles, and asked him out to lunch and told him what his situation said, uh, was, and, and Vernon said to him, it's easy, Tom. It's, it, it, it's simple, Tom. It's just not easy. And Tom said, what? And Dr. Broyle said, from now on, you need to spend as much time and energy using what you have to the glory of God as you have spent earning and making it. And through his faith, he decided to follow just that dictum. From that point on, Tom Cousins saw his life as a privilege to give back. That what makes a life a privilege is to give, not to take. So like Paul and Lydia, God sees us too through the lens of possibility and privilege, each of us. And through the eyes of Christ, I pray that we see what God sees.